I need you to pay close attention to what I'm about to say. I am not alone right now. I am speaking to you with someone sitting across from me at this table in my motel room. I'm sure you know who it is. He is smiling. He sits with his hands folded on each other in front of him. His black eyes do not shift their gaze from my face. He is absolutely still, still as a statue. I realize that it has been a week since I've spoken to you, but you need to understand something. Time moves a little differently for us, for he and I. It moves quickly because we have so many years in us, such long lives, that a week is barely the blink of an eye. I do not exaggerate when I say that we have spent the entire week sitting at this desk. I think the first couple of days and nights we merely stared at each other. Then I think we spoke a little of things, private things. Then for a day or so we discussed what I might say to you this week. He wants to reach out, you see. I don't know why he doesn't speak to you himself. Ah. He loves my voice. He's been listening. Shall I proceed? He says yes. Very well. He said to me that he feels hurt. Hurt that I find him so terrible. Hurt that I consider our game a hunt, an act of war and hatred. And I said to him, and continue to say to him, that I am hurt that he did what he did to me, and left me for almost a thousand years. Remember that? Do you remember? Don't touch me. You're ready? Very well. This is his story. Some of it, anyway. I haven't heard it yet. You can't hear it, but I'm shaking. I'm terrified. I've wanted answers for so long, but I never considered what I might do after I have them. Well, let's see. He woke up to a bright, beautiful world one day, with no recollection of anything before that. And the world was quiet, not silent. There was all around him the gentle sound of nature, 
He had no language because the world had no language yet. This was the world's language. The singing of birds, the movement of water, the symphony of insects. It was a peaceful, gentle language. And the sun was bright, and it stung his eyes, and he felt weak and confused, but it was such a small price to pay for the opportunity to see these things all around him. He looked around him, and he saw creatures of such beauty and magnificence that he could not help but be in awe. He saw delicate and colorful flowers that he longed to smell, to touch, to preserve forever. He saw succulent fruits hanging from green trees that he wanted to pick and devour and savor. But when he went to gently touch a flower, It withered and died and lost its color and its sweetness. When he went to pick a fruit, it turned black and crumbled in his long skeletal fingers, and the tree it was on lost its leaves and grew barren. When he went to stroke a sweet, gentle creature living among him, it would scream and shake and fall down dead, its eyes remaining in terror even in death. He wandered the world, confused and alone. He could not touch anything. He could not speak for both lack of language and lack of someone to speak with. Many days and nights passed, and he found he didn't seem to need sleep or food or drink, not as the other creatures around him did. Yet, oh, he was hungry. So hungry. Not for fruit, not even for meat, for something else. For that feeling he had when he saw a poor creature shrinking from life in his arms. And when nighttime came, he realized he was different. Without the sun blinding him, he could see everything. He was strong, too. He could travel great distances at great speed and see so much more of the beauty around him. He could see the differences of the plants and the creatures across the world even, and he learned about them all as he traveled. He became immensely knowledgeable, much more so than the poor dumb animals he began to know so well. He began to understand the journey of the sun and the life cycle of the moon as they traveled across the sky. He began to understand the map of the stars, and he understood that when he held a poor sobbing creature and felt its life drain from it in his arms, it felt incredible. It felt amazing. He felt satisfied briefly. And he understood all that that creature had understood in its lifetime. And he grew and grew in power. And while there was at first a deep sorrow in him that he could not touch a living thing without taking its life, after years and years of this, he had adjusted in a terrible, cruel way. Can you imagine? Lifetimes passing and only knowing life for having taken it. 
Can you imagine how horrible and powerful one might become? I'm sorry. I told him I would try not to comment. I told him that I would tell the story and listen to it only. I'm sorry. And unlike me, he feels it necessary to point out he did not sleep. He did not take years and years to rest and wait for the world to pass by like a coward would. How dare you, you monster. He lived through it all, growing more and more powerful. And eventually he saw... Humans. Things that looked very similar to him. Not completely. They did not have his hands, his talons, his teeth, his eyes, his height. And they certainly did not have his strength or speed. He watched them from the darkness. And he saw them picking flowers, eating fruit, stroking sweet animals. And he saw them embracing one another. He was almost mad with jealousy for it. He knew so much more than them. He could do so much more than them. But he could not do this simple thing. Or perhaps he could touch them. Maybe they were different. In time, he noticed that they were creating noises that the others could understand. They were speaking to each other. And he learned the first languages very easily. A small village, a group of humans living together to protect and feed and help each other, was out by a fire one night, listening to one storyteller in the center of a circle. A good opportunity, he thought. He walked into their light, slowly, deliberately, his tall frame casting an even taller shadow in the firelight. They grew completely silent. He said nothing. But he walked into their circle, and he got a better look at them. Beautiful, fragile creatures, he said in their primitive language. And he went to the storyteller and gently touched his arm. The storyteller struggled. He gasped for air. He shook. He went pale and his face grew drawn. And he collapsed to the ground, dead. The tribe cried out in fear. But they immediately fell to the ground, lay prostrate and bowed their heads as they wept. They were worshipping him. They feared him. He understood this even better than he might have, had he not just consumed their leader's life. And the leader's life, this singular human life, made him feel so much more powerful, so much more alive, and, well, it made him feel loved, so much more loved than he had felt in this very, very, very long life to that point. He needed this feeling. 
He spoke to the tribe as they knelt and wept. One life every ten years, he said. That is all I require from you. You may choose who it is, but you must give me one life on this night every ten years. I will return. You are beautiful creatures, he said to them. You are loved. You are blessed. I will not harm any other than the one you choose. I give you my word. And he was good on his word. He admits to me that he did this to more than one tribe across the world. He did it to many, in fact. As a result, he fed frequently, and he fed well, but the cost was not, in his eyes, very steep at all. One life every ten years, for each group. It seemed a fair trade. And he did love them. He protected them from other predators. Sometimes he would teach one lucky elder about plants and animals. These villages thrived. For over ten thousand years. Ten thousand years. Oh, God. Ten thousand years passed. And human beings became very intelligent, very resourceful, very inventive. The buildings they made became beautiful and unique to location. Their languages were diverse and fascinating. And he knew them all because he had heard the roots of them all. They worshipped him under one name or another, and he believed them. After all, he didn't know what he was. Why could he not be their god? The god of knowledge? A giving, generous god? The god of... of death? He had to protect these villages more and more from the large civilizations that sought to dominate them. But they were protected. Hidden, usually, in the dark forests of the world, or in the mountains, or somewhere he guided them to, to preserve their ways of life. It worked, sometimes. But not always. But he didn't see it coming. He saw religions from across the world come and go. He would often be associated with a figure in each one, and that was well enough to him. He didn't mind. Let them call me by whichever name they choose. But when one particular religion came, things changed. There was only one god, they said. And when the villages would reject this, they would be punished. And when they accepted it, they began to fight back. They didn't want one person to die every ten years, and they fought him. And, tragedy of tragedies, he would win. But finally word had come out often enough about this god of death. Entire villages had died off after rebelling. Something needed to be done. And so, one village erected a tower. It was adorned with runes. It was fortified. But it was also beautiful and well-kept, so as not to anger this 
thing, even more than they already surely were to. How did they do it? How did they trap you? It doesn't say anything here about that. You don't want to tell me. You don't trust me? After all you've done to me, you won't trust me with this. How dare you? Don't cry. I'm sorry. I won't hurt you. Wait. There's more here. More to this story. It says, One day he woke up to the sound of a large crash, of stone breaking and falling, to the smell of fresh air and a change of temperature in the room, and the smell of human. For the first time in however many years it had been, he smelled a human. A young girl had stumbled her way into the tower. No. I'm not ready for this story. <sighs> she had woken him up, and he observed her silently as she moved throughout the tower, not knowing she wasn't alone. She had, you see, set him free. Whether she had known it or not, she had done this. And he felt something for her. Something that, since he had woken up, perhaps, at the dawn of time, he had never felt. You must understand that this is not merely sentiment, though that is part of it. He was in a vulnerable state for the first time ever, you see, having been betrayed, captured, and imprisoned. So yes, sentiment played into it. But, since the dawn of time, as I was saying, no one, not an animal, not a flower, not a human, had ever done something for him. She had set him free, and he had to embrace her. And he did. But not with the intention of taking her life. He didn't want anything from her, he wanted to give to her. Could he? He had to try. He felt her life slipping from her, and he saw her whole life and knowledge in his mind's eye. And he felt her fear and her despair, and he sorrowed for it. And instead of taking her life and knowledge and memories from her, he focused on giving her knowledge and strength, wanting to share something, wanting for once not to be alone, and she collapsed at his feet, unconscious. But she wasn't dead. In fact, he saw her as she began to change. She grew pale as marble. Her fingers cracked and stretched and her nails grew long and black as her mouth warped its thirty-two teeth into thirty-two fangs. And her eyes fluttered and he saw that they were black like his. He saw, for the first time, a creature like him in the world. He was absolutely giddy with the joy of it. 
he was also ravenous. He had slept for so long, and he had just given his strength to another. He took off into the night to find some human, some ignorant human, some worthless, treacherous creature like that to take tonight. Perhaps more than one. After all, what need had he of humans now that he had this beautiful monster to walk alongside? To be his companion? Perhaps even his bride? The possibilities were endless and wonderful. Let her wake in her own time, he thought. Let her discover herself as I discovered myself. It will make her strong. We will find each other again. We have this world together, she and I. And what a beautiful world it is now, now that she is in it. I am a monster. I am cruel. I am twisted, bent, and broken. Killing and taking and solitude are my nature. But I've been listening to you, beloved. I've been listening. And I know that these are not your nature. You fight it. Perhaps you will teach me to fight it. Or perhaps I will teach you to give in to it. Either way, what an adventure it will be. That's all it says. You've come back to stay, then, now that it suits you. In that tower... I was so alone. I needed you, and you left me to discover myself. No, I do not accept that. Why did you leave me? Why did you keep leaving me? This answers nothing. None of this answers anything. What are you? What am I? <laughs> I don't know, my love. Something is changing. Something is growing behind him. Huge. Black. Wings. But I know I'm not a god. Hello everyone, thank you so much for listening to episode 19 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza, and I hope you're all doing well. I have a couple of shoutouts this week. The first is to David Schutz, to whom I owe a big thank you for buying me three coffees on coffee.com. Thank you so much, David, for being such a great supporter of the show and giving me some stamina to keep going. If you want to help support the show too, you can do so on my coffee page at coffee.com slash darkcoldnight or on patreon at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight coffee spelt k-o-fi dot com anyway thanks again david you're awesome and another great way to help out is to spread the word by sharing a review of the show this week i want to thank a few reviewers who gave me some five-star reviews recently 
First is Puck Cheese, who writes a review of my episode called Burning Burning. Loved it. Engrossing. Second is Farini, who writes a review titled Great Job, which reads, Great storytelling and content keeps me coming back for the next episode. Well done. And finally to Daniel, who reviewed the show on podknife.com. His five-star review titled A Spooky, Sleepy, Creepy Daydream reads, This podcast is awesome, in capital letters. I'm a huge fan of sleep podcasts, and same, and the narrator has an exquisite voice for calming the nerves. The fact that the fiction of the narrator and the stories she tells are all heartfelt and get at the human condition is what makes me keep coming back. Zaza's ability to weave storytelling and the macabre with a gentleness and a dexterity makes this podcast unlike everything else out there. Seriously, take a listen. You'll not be disappointed. Welcome to the warm embrace of tales from beyond our known world. Holy cow, thanks so much, Puck Cheese, Farini, and Daniel. I really, really appreciate it. You can review the show too on iTunes, Podknife, Stitcher, my website, anywhere you like, and I might just give it a read on the show. If you have a question you want to hear answered or anything like that, send me an email to darkcoldnightpodcast at gmail.com, and you might hear that read on the show too. If you have Radio Public and can listen to the show there, that would be awesome. I'm a part of their paid listens program, so every listen on that app helps me get paid for my work. And it's free for you, so check out Radio Public if you have the time and inclination. Lastly, reach out to me on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, or on our Facebook page, I will answer. Thanks so much, everyone. We're really getting in the thick of the story now, and I hope you're enjoying that. This episode was a bit of a diversion, but one I've been wanting to get to for a while now. So much more to come with these characters. Lots of love to you all. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. Until next week.